You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the American Bar Association's annual meeting in Chicago, Illinois. We're here to cover this event and its highlights for you, our listeners. And joining me now is my privilege to welcome four very special guests to our show. I'm going to start to my left. I have the Honorable James Jordan from the 160th Judicial District from Dallas, Texas. Welcome. Thank you. And I have the Honorable uh, Christopher P. Yates from Michigan State Court, Kent County, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. And I have California Chief Justice Tani Kantil Sakue. I got close, didn't I? Very close. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) And she's, of course, joining us from the Supreme Court of California, San Francisco, California. Thank you so much. And last but not least, I have Justice Edward L. Chavez from the Supreme Court of New Mexico, Santa Fe. Beautiful part of the country, by the way. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Come visit us. I do, actually, frequently. (laughs) I do love Santa Fe. So I brought you all to the show today because I understand that you were all speaking, or uh, as a panel discussion, speaking at an event called The Language of Justice, removing language barriers to justice in the nation's courts. And so obviously this is, uh, there's some gaps in the justice system here for people that don't necessarily speak English. And I wanted to uh, discuss that in detail. And I understand that uh, each of you presented a little bit different subject matter. So what we're going to do, just so this all makes sense when it plays out on the air, is I'm going to have you tell us where you preside a little bit and what you do at that level, and then uh, briefly address your subject. And we'll just get into it from there. So I think just to keep things not as confusing, we'll start with the moderator of the event, uh, Judge Jordan. All right. I uh, have a general jurisdiction court in Dallas County, Texas. I hear predominantly civil cases, uh, help out occasionally with some of the family matters, uh, don't really hear criminal matters. Okay. And uh, Judge Yates? I am now running a specialized business docket in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is on the west side of the state. Uh, I've been a judge for about seven and a half years, and during my tenure, I've served in the family division, the criminal division, the civil division, and now I've settled in the uh, specialized business docket. But I was on the working group that wrote the court rules for limited English proficient people in Michigan and then served as the first chair of the Foreign Language Board of Review in the state. Excellent. And uh, Judge Kantil Sakue? Yes, I'm Tani Kantil Saka'ue. I'm the Chief Justice of California. And prior to being Chief Justice of California, I was a 14 years as a Superior Court Judge, six years on the Court of Appeal, and now five years as the Chief Justice. As the Chief Justice, I preside over the largest judicial branch in, in California, and also um, am head of our policymaking Judicial Council. And as part of the Judicial Council statewide policymaking body, I commissioned a language access plan, a strategic language access plan for California. Because we have over 200 languages and multiple dialects spoken in California and because of the diversity of our population. Judge Chavez. I'm Ed Chavez. I'm a justice on the New Mexico Supreme Court. I'm in my 13th year. Before that, I practiced law uh, for 22 years as a trial lawyer. Uh, The reason I am here is because I'm the Supreme Court liaison member to the Language Access Advisory Committee, and my topic was to discuss the importance of allowing all citizens, adults, even those who do not speak English fluently, to sit on juries and the ease with which that can be accomplished. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm going to turn the microphone uh, back to uh, Judge Jordan. So you're the moderator, so you've got to kind of sit amongst all of it. And uh, so I guess from a uh, 50,000-foot level view, uh, could you tell us 
obviously there's there's gaps in justice here. We have people that are are not getting the kind of legal services that that they need. But let's let's start with the general. Uh, how many people is this affecting in our country today? Well, I think it's affecting uh, far more than um, most of us would think. It's affecting people who have English as a second language or they're not able to speak or understand English, and as well as people who uh, maybe speak and understand English but are not literate. And uh, in some states, the, uh, it can be as many as uh, one in five or one in four. And uh, Judge Yates, are you finding um, through your experiences that not being able to speak English in our country is, is leading to a higher, I guess, arrest rate? Is it, was, was that something that you guys were discussing? Well, primarily, we deal with what happens within the four walls of the courtroom. Okay. But I think we've all learned during the course of our experience in working on these various initiatives that there are implications outside the courtroom as well. Uh, people simply getting access to the courts in the first instance is a challenge if they're not fully proficient in English. And so we've talked about, for example, civil complaints or divorce complaints getting filed in the first instance, and then how people get their paperwork filed and processed. And then ultimately, of course, it becomes our responsibility inside the four walls of the courtroom to make sure that everyone has meaningful access to the court system. And that means that they're able to understand the proceedings and to participate in a meaningful way and to be able to make the arguments either on their own behalf if they're representing themselves or assist their attorney in making the arguments that need to be made so that they can actually have their day in court. And uh, Judge Kentil, Sakue, uh, one of the questions I have, you know, there's so many languages spoken in our country. And, you know, obviously this is a, uh, when you're talking about the, the criminal part of it, uh, and even civil in, in part, uh, but in particular with the criminal, there's just so many resources to go around and with so many languages. Um, and it's very important to be talking with your counsel uh, if you're, if you're uh, criminally indicted and you're criminally charged and now you're facing the court. And so how does the state deal with that? How do you, I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking about this from a budgetary crisis. How, do, how does that work in California? Well, you've absolutely identified one of the, the strongest barriers to this is funding. So as you know, in all jurisdictions in the United States, for criminal matters, people are entitled to an interpreter for those services. However, what you're seeing is now an effort nationally for different all state courts to try to provide civil interpreters, interpreters for civil matters free of charge and at no cost uh, or under good cause with depending on the income of the civil litigant. And so in California, we recognize this cost, and we also are trying to speak to our legislature and our executive branch to understand these costs, and also to prioritize the use of the interpreters in certain civil cases. If we can't provide them in all, then maybe we ought to be providing them in domestic violence cases, interpreters in family law, interpreters in dependency cases, interpreters in unlawful detainer and guardianships. And then we need to have some great data that supports what is driving these costs. And Judge Chavez, uh, Judge uh, Cantil Sackway, kind of segued into my next question for you. Uh, now, we learned recently in one of our, uh, when we went to the, uh, the National Summit on Innovation and Legal Service at Stanford, California, that uh, there are certain areas of law that are uh, receiving very low representation. Family law was one of the ones that was cited to, uh, and, some, and I was alarmed at the statistic, 75 to 80 percent of people going before these courts do not have representation, they're pro se, um, and they're going before, and their whole life is changing. And so my question to you, uh, Judge Chavez, is are there certain areas of law where this language barrier is affecting more than others um, in addition to criminal? When domestic relations cases, your statistics are, are right on. We find that in New Mexico, at least 70 percent 
of our cases have at least one individual who is representing themselves. Now, the other side might have a lawyer. Uh, that poses more than language barrier concerns because the individual who represents themselves really don't understand the system, the process, what evidence is important. They have emotional issues that they need to get out. But if you look at our rules of, of evidence or of procedure, we don't allow every topic to be discussed. We don't allow emotions into our courtrooms. So we have to be innovative in our approach. Uh, language access is very important, so we would provide an interpreter for them. But we also have ADR programs uh, where they can actually talk about the emotional issues that uh, brought their relational health problems before the court. So we try to do it the best we can with those sort of issues. So yes, domestic relations is definitely it. But criminal law and civil law, we, you have a constitutional right to a, a trial. You have a constitutional right to a lawyer. You have due process rights in the criminal system. But also in the civil system, you have a constitutional right to a civil jury. And the question is whether or not uh, you ought to allow non-English speaking citizens to participate as jurors. And New Mexico has answered that question, yes. Okay. And this next question is actually for all of you. So obviously Gideon v. Wainwright is our guarantee to counsel in matters that are criminal. And so I think I know the answer based on your responses, but I want to, I want to present this question to all of you. Currently, as it exists in the United States, do you think the standards of Gideon v. Wainwright are being adequately um, given to uh, defense uh, when it comes to our language barrier? Is the language barrier, I guess, falling short of the rights guaranteed in Gideon v. Wainwright is, I guess, another way to rephrase that. But uh, let's, uh, let's start with uh, Judge Jordan. Well, I have a civil docket, so I can't really uh, address that uh, probably as well as you want me to, but I can say that from the civil side, uh, my concern is that as judges, we can uh, deal with people once they come to us, once they get involved in the process. And part of the problem is that the language barrier is such that people who need access to the courts, we, we don't learn about. Uh, because of the barrier, they don't make the effort uh, or they feel like they don't have access. And so there's folks out there that, that we don't know about that need our help and, and need the access to the courts. And that's one of the issues that we talked about is identifying those people who aren't in, in our courts yet but that need access to courts for justice. So from a civil side, I think that's um, – uh, a concern I would have. As judges, I, as I mentioned, once they're in the system, we can help them and we can deal with it. But it's those that are outside that, that we need to, to uh, work on. How about, how about you, Judge Yates? Judge Jordan makes an excellent point. As far as the guarantees of Gideon go, that has to do with criminal cases. And I think that in terms of interpretation services and translation and everything else that goes with it, uh, we probably come closest to the standards we ought to achieve in criminal cases because of the constitutional guarantees that go along with criminal prosecution. Uh, where we've fallen short, I think, most dramatically are in the areas of family law, which Justice Chavez discussed, and in civil practice as well, as Justice Jordan discussed. And I think uh, we are starting to get to the point where we're understanding that meaningful access to courts requires the assistance of interpreters and translators inside and outside the courtroom, not just in criminal cases where people are charged with crimes, but also in other proceedings, which, as Justice Chavez noted, could have a dramatic effect on people's lives. The statistics that you gave about divorce cases, I think, are, are right on. That's been all of our experience in the trial courts. And when people have to come in and try to represent themselves, it's hard enough. But if they can't speak English effectively, it's nearly impossible to get a fair proceeding. 
Judge Kentil Sackaway, from your experiences, are you seeing this um, language barrier problem decreasing or increasing at this point? Well, we believe that the more outreach we do and the more we identify the need in the community before they ever hit the steps of the courthouse, we're going to see an increase in need. But I wanted to speak to your uh, Gideon matter. Gideon was about the right to an attorney for an indigent criminal defendant. But also what we have to recognize is that there are ancillary needs that are as critical as representation, and that's language access. And I also want to just put in a plug that we are attempting in California civil Gideon, where we are providing an attorney free of charge at the state's uh, on the state's budget for those civil cases, as we've described here, family law, unlawful detainer, conservatorship, in situations where the other side is represented by an attorney and the other side does not. And we're doing that based on a very limited funding, and we need to be looking at increasing that. Judge Chavez, how can the American Bar Association help you with this language barrier problem? education and training. And frankly, uh, the American Bar Association has done a great job just having this conference, having us participate. They've uh, written a book that helps us understand the importance of interpreters and translation specialists. And the name of the book is Standards for Language Access in the Courts. And so as long as we have a legal community that is invested in the idea that we need to provide access to our courts, which includes language access, I think the ABA is doing a marvelous job. Okay. And Judge Jordan, do you think this is, a, this is an area that would be a proper place for law schools to spend some attention on? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, and I think that to a certain extent, law schools are starting to take more time with this kind of in, in the area of procedural fairness uh, and talk about uh, not just the rules of evidence and the rules of procedure, but a process that is perceived to be fair by the, by the participants. And this is a very big part of that. Last question for all of you. So if, uh, if you could, we've got, a, our audience is mostly attorneys and other legal professionals. And so you've got a forum here. And uh, if you wanted to reach out and say something, what message would you like to leave our listeners as far as dealing with the language barrier? I think we'll start with uh, Judge Chavez first. I would like to encourage the lawyers throughout the United States to remember that our jury system is based on citizen participation. We only can compel citizens to participate in our democracy in one instance. You can't force them to vote, can't force them to run for office, but you can force them to serve on jury duty. I don't think it's right to exclude citizens from participation in our jury system simply because they struggle with the English language. Judge Kentel Sackaway. Lawyers are advocates, and they are the best and most eloquent, articulate voices, not only for clients and for underrepresented causes, but also the judiciary. And the future of the judiciary in this nation is going to be diverse. And so I think we can certainly hope to count on their help in understanding the need for language access and understanding the needs of the future litigant and the future juror. Judge Yates. Our profession is steeped in tradition, and so we don't readily change. But this is an area where I think people need to embrace change. They need to understand that there are unmet needs, and the systems necessary to meet those needs are not terrifying. They're not difficult. They're not beyond the realm of our ability to reach, and we ought to embrace them and move in that direction as quickly as we can. Judge Jordan. I think courtroom attorneys know that we have a problem with the vanishing jury trial. That's been written a lot about, it's been talked a lot about, and it's not really going to change with lawyers and judges talking about it. What's going to change is when the 
the users of our jury system and the jurors themselves start talking about the jury system uh, and how good it is and how good of an experience it was for them. And so if we uh, are able to eliminate the language barrier to service as jurors, then I think that we're going to greatly increase the number of people that are exposed to the jury system and that participate in it. And they will go out and talk about that experience and they will help us turn this around in terms of the diminishing uh, jury trial. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program for today. I want to thank our guests for joining us. This has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.